Amen. In your Bibles this morning, Matthew chapter number 9, I'm working through some parables of the Lord Jesus, and today we come to the parable of the new cloth and the new wine. And I want to share something with you I hope will be a help to you. And we begin our reading in Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 9. And uh, Matthew, who wrote the book of Matthew, is going to tell his own story about getting saved. And following Christ, and then we're going to see Jesus in this parable. The Bible says in Matthew 9 and verse number 9, And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him, and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, That they that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast oft, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus said to them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. No man putteth a piece of new cloth unto an old garment. For that which is put in to fill it up taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break, and the wine runneth out, and the bottles perish, but they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. What an interesting parable, and I'll be honest with you, I have to remind myself from time to time the exact meaning of this passage of Scripture. But something very, very important that we need to discover from God's Word is Jesus is speaking to a group of people that needed to be willing to change. They needed to be willing to change to become more and more like Jesus. And the emphasis of this passage of Scripture is a willingness to change to be more like Jesus. There's a passage of Scripture we find in the book of Romans, very famous, about changing. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, I'll read it to you. The Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2. And be not conformed to this world. Don't change into the world. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Bible says to us that we are to surrender ourselves to the Lord. We're not to be changed into the world, but we're to be transformed and changed into the will of God. We're to be changing into what God wants us to be. I want to ask you a question. Are you willing to change into what God wants you to be? A few pages previous in the book of Romans, Romans chapter number 8, in verse number 29, the Bible says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, 
that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Basically, the Bible wants us to know that saved people need to conform to the image of Christ. Do you know what we do? Every last one of us need to live our entire lives determined to change into whatever God wants us to be. You know, the word change is something that Baptist churches hate, right? I remember, I think all churches hate the word change. Have you heard the, how many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? Change? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> it's a joke. Change? I heard about the pastor. He wanted to go and he's the new pastor of the church and he just felt like he could change the world through his church. And then he wanted to change the sign one day and it all fell apart. <laughs> change. And I'm not looking to change away from God's word. I'm not looking to change away from Jesus Christ as only Savior. But I do know this for a fact. That the moment that you get to the place where you think that Jesus cannot change you for the better. You have become a hardened vessel, an old garment that God will have to break in order to use. And we come to this passage of Scripture and it has everything to do with people being willing to change into what God wants them to be. Let me explain the parable to you. The Bible says in verse number... 16, no man putteth a piece of new cloth unto an old garment. For that which is put in to fill it up taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. Here's the picture that we must get in our mind that the Bible wants us to see. I want you to see in your mind's eye an old garment with a hole in it. An old garment with a hole in it. Now, back in this time... Things were notorious for shrinking. Aren't you glad that things don't shrink as bad as they used to? And uh, how many of you ever had any of your clothes shrink? It's a, uh, I'm not talking about you gained weight. I'm talking about your clothes shrunk. And uh, we, I've had my clothes shrink before. And so you've got this idea, a new garment that, you know, and even some garments yet today, you've got to be careful about how you wash them and dry them, especially at first because they will and they potentially will shrink a new garment so the bible says we've got an old garment the old garment it has done all of its shrink it can't shrink anymore if it were to shrink or get tugged on too tight it'll break and so we've got a picture of an old garment that's already done its shrinking and it's got a hole in it and with good intentions the hole is patched with a new piece of cloth a new piece of cloth that has not shrunk yet the garment, the old garment patched with a new cloth gets wet, gets dried. And the result is the new shrinks, but the old has already shrunk. And when it shrinks, the shrinkage, the change, rends and tears the old garment worse than it was torn in the first place. Does that make sense? That's the illustration. The next illustration is new wine and old bottles. Here's what it says, so we just get it straight. The Bible says in verse 17, Neither, and just like the old garment, new cloth, neither do we put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break, and the wine runneth out, and the bottles perish. But they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. And so here's the process. You don't put new wine 
in old bottles. These folks understood what they were talking about. When you take the fruit of the vine and you put it in a bottle, you have to put it in a new bottle. The bottles were mostly made out of skins. They were made out of hides. There were occasions that the bottles could be made out of clay. The process and the principle is the same. The new bottle was made and it had not come to the place where it had lost its flexibility. You put new wine into new bottles and what happened is you put the new wine in a new bottle, you cork the bottle and when the gases that are naturally produced by the wine expand, the new bottle doesn't burst because it's still flexible. It will change with the movement of what's inside of it. But if you put new wine in an old bottle and cork it, it's set in its ways, it's rigid and hard. When the gases begin to build inside, the bottle will break. And the Bible says the byproduct of that was that the bottles break, the wine runneth out, and the bottles perish. But they that put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. And so the point here is God is calling on all people to be willing to be moldable, changeable, transformed to God's will. You see, there's not a time in your Christian life where you have arrived. The Bible says that we're to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling, which is in Christ Jesus. You may think you're just like Jesus, but I'm going to tell you, you're not. I love the old song. Something fun about all these stories is it reminds me of songs I learned as a kid in Sunday school. Here's one. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. <laughs> he is. And he's still working on you too. I'll tell you, it becomes... A temptation when you've preached for as many years as I have, when you've been a Christian for a long time, it becomes a temptation to get to the place where you think you know all that God has to offer. But I'll have you know something. The moment that you become unteachable as a child of God, unmoldable as the Christian that God has saved you to be, is the day that you become full of pride and self and religion and miss out on what God has for you that's best. Oh, I love the testimony of God's people who've been at it for a long time when they tell me what God's been doing in their heart lately. May God help us to stay those kinds of Christians. The kinds of Christians who say, I want God to change me anytime he wants to change me. I want God to move in my life. I want God to grow me and expand me and mold me into what he'd have me to be. There's a beautiful picture in the scripture of God's relationship to his children. The Bible says it like this. He is the potter and I'm the clay. The Bible gives us a parable today. Jesus, the parable of the new cloth and the new wine. And I want you to know something. Jesus wants you to be changed into his image. Now we learn. I think when we understand the parable, then we can understand the passage it's so exciting. Number one, I want you to note this. Number one, bad people need to be saved and changed to the image of Jesus. Bad people 
need to be changed and saved to the image. I mean, need to be saved and changed to the image of Jesus. Let's look at verse number 9. We're going to see three different types of people here in this passage of Scripture. And the bottom line is they all need to be willing to change into the image of the Lord. The Bible says in verse number 9, As Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew. Here we meet Matthew. Matthew now, who is writing this book of the Bible and telling his story, he's a follower of Christ. He's a disciple of the Lord. And God has trusted him to write the first book of the New Testament. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? But I want you to know something about Matthew. Matthew didn't start there. As a matter of fact, the Bible says when Jesus saw a man named Matthew, he was sitting at the receipt of customs. What's that mean about Matthew? I'm going to tell you what kind of guy Matthew was. Matthew was a publican. He was a publican. A publican was a Jewish person who had gone to work for the Roman government. And a publican was the guy that would take up taxes for Rome from his own people, the Jews. I'll just tell you something. Publicans were very frowned on. Publicans had a bad reputation. As a matter of fact, the more you study and look into the life of a publican, the way that a publican made their living was they actually had to cheat their own people in taxes in order to survive themselves. They would uh, be required to bring in X amount of dollars per person uh, in taxes and they would charge those people the X above what they were required in order that they might survive on their own, a publican. Now all you notice about Matthew, Matthew was a lying, stealing cheat. Matthew. Jesus comes along and he sees Matthew and it thrills me to think about the fact that Jesus loved Matthew And Jesus was willing to call Matthew. And Jesus was willing to reach out to Matthew and change Matthew's life. It's a sweet thing to know that God loves sinners. Matthew, he was bad. But Jesus calls to Matthew as he's seated at the receipt of custom, verse number 9. And he saith unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. It's a sweet thing when Jesus calls you. It's an even sweeter thing when you follow when Jesus calls. And perhaps the Lord is tugging at your heart today. And you know you've never been saved. Jesus is calling to you. Repent and turn to me. Trust in Christ. Be saved. Bad people need to be saved. Matthew needed to get saved. He followed the Lord. He became a follower of Christ. And something interesting happens in verse 10. Look what happens. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house. And I'm pretty sure that Jesus has gone to Matthew's house. He's gone somewhere around Matthew and Matthew's people. Matthew's writing about it. When Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him And his disciples. This is a beautiful picture. I love this moment in the scriptures. Jesus has seen Matthew, called Matthew. Matthew's followed Jesus and gone to Matthew's house. And now Matthew's friends, the other publicans and sinners, the bad people. Guess what they've done? They've gathered around Jesus. Now, don't get the wrong idea. Jesus didn't eat with publicans and sinners so he could say, you guys are okay. You just do whatever you want to do. Live any way you want to live it. You're good. Jesus loves bad people. Jesus does love bad people. But Jesus wasn't saying, 
You're okay, keep sinning. Jesus wasn't saying to Matthew, it's okay, keep lying and cheating and stealing. Jesus didn't gather to eat with those folks to confirm what they were doing. Jesus met with those people because I want you to know something. Bad people need to be saved and conform to the image of Christ. It's an amazing thing that happens when somebody gets saved. God changes their lives. It's never, ever my goal to change someone's outside. You know why? Because I don't have to. If someone puts their faith and trust in Jesus and gets saved, do you know what happens? From the inside out, God changes them and conforms them into his image. I want you to know, Jesus wants to save you if you're sinful and wicked and rotten and Jesus will love you and reach out to you and Jesus will be with you. He wants to save you, but saved people need to be willing to change. The Bible teaches us here that there's bad people that need to be saved. And when you get saved, God changes your life. I was just a little boy when I got saved. But I remember when I got saved, the Lord impressed on my heart. There were certain things I didn't need to do anymore. Certain places I didn't need to go. And the Lord is my, uh, as my indwelling Savior and Holy Spirit. He convicts me when I sin and he leads me. And I'm so thankful for that. Bad people need to be saved and transformed the image of Jesus. You see, if you have this idea that you can add Jesus to your sinful behavior and your wicked lifestyle, you're wrong. Because you can't put new wine in old bottles without it breaking. You've got to be willing to surrender your life to the Lord and let Jesus change you. You see, Matthew, he didn't become an author of the, God's word and continue in sin. Matthew didn't become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and continue in sin. Matthew, though he was friends with publicans and sinners and a publican himself and a sinner himself, Matthew followed Jesus and let Jesus change his life and God used him in a mighty way. And Jesus said, here's the key. You've got to be willing to conform and change to the image of Christ. You've got to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. You see, bad people need to be saved and transformed, changed to the image of Jesus. Number two, number two, religious people need to be saved and changed to the image of Jesus. The next group of people fall into the same parable and the heading and the same idea of the new wine and new bottles being willing to change with the Spirit of God, we meet with some religious people. So Jesus has sat down and fellowshiped with publicans and sinners. This just absolutely blows the minds of the religious elite of the moment, the Pharisees. The Bible says in verse 11, look at it. When the Pharisees saw it, what they, they saw that Jesus was eating with publicans and sinners. When the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? <laughs> Look at this. this is, their, their minds are blown. They can't believe it. And they're mad. And actually, one thing the Pharisees are constantly trying to do, they're always trying to catch Jesus. They're always trying to find something they can get Jesus, some way they can divide, some way they can, they can prod and make a mess with Jesus. They're gossips and they're rotten. I want you to see what the Pharisees do. The Pharisees have a problem with Jesus. They say, God, I can't believe that he 
sat and ate with publicans and sinners. Guess what they did? They went straight to Jesus and tried to get the matter settled and gave him the benefit. No, these Pharisees, these religionists, the religious people, you know what they did? They went to the disciples and tried to stir up a mess. Let me tell you something that religious Pharisees do. They love to stir up messes. They like to gossip. They like to be bitter. They like to cause division. And these Pharisees, what they're doing, they're stirring the pot. They didn't go to Jesus, hey, help us clear this thing up. We'd like to know a little bit more about what's happening. Oh, no, they didn't go to Jesus at all. They went around his back and tried to separate his disciples from him. And they made a big mess. By the way, if you find yourself a religious gossip, you be careful. You need to change. You need to change into the image of God. You need to love. You need to yearn in your heart for unity among the brethren. You see, religious people need to be saved and change the image of Jesus. These Pharisees, they saw it that Jesus had been eaten with the Pharisees, I mean, with the uh, publicans and sinners. And he says, They say, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? Verse 12. But when Jesus heard that, he said to them, They that behold need not a physician. But they that are sick. I think this is so fun. Verse number 12. The, we know that the Pharisees were trying to cause division and they were running their mouths to the disciples. And the Bible says, Jesus heard that. You see those three words? Jesus, I just, I love that. I want to remind you of something. And I'm going to remind myself of something. If I start running my mouth about contentious things, I want to be reminded of three little words that we find in Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 12. Jesus heard that. <laughs> Remember that. Jesus heard that. The next time you start to say something you shouldn't, you remember something. Jesus heard that. Often I get in around folks and they uh, will slip and say something, a bad word, and then they realize they said a bad word in front of the preacher. And they're like, oh, no, I shouldn't have said that in front of the preacher. And one of my favorite things to say is, don't worry about me. Jesus is everywhere present. Uh, you just cuss Jesus. <laughs> don't worry about me. And uh, Jesus heard that. And this is fun. This is, this is interesting. And you remember, Jesus heard that. You start acting like you shouldn't say anything. Jesus heard that. The Bible says, but when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Jesus says, look, the reason I'm with the publicans and sinners is because the publicans and sinners, they are in need of a Savior. They need to be saved. And I'm going to fellowship with folks who need me. What was Jesus doing? Jesus was wanting the publicans and sinners to change. But not only the publicans and sinners did Jesus want them to change. Jesus wanted the Pharisees to change too. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, but go ye and learn what that meaneth. <laughs> what does he say? You need to go learn and think about what I just said. The sick need a physician. You need to go and learn what I said. You need to realize that you're wrong. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. He says this, look. He says, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. He looks at these, these Pharisees who were religious to the T. They didn't look like the publicans and sinners. They didn't smell like the publicans. As a matter of fact, their whole world was completely different than the publicans and sinners. But Jesus says, you guys need to change and get right with God and get saved too. These folks dressed like Christians. They smelled like Christians. They talked like Christians. They had routines like Christians. They put their money where the money was supposed to go at the church. They went on Saturday to church 
when they're supposed to. They read the Bible. They put on shows. They prayed public prayers. But Jesus said, let me tell you something. You Pharisees, you need to be saved. You need to be saved and you need to change to the image of Jesus. Religious people need to be saved and changed. In verse 13, he says, Go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy. He says, I'm going to act like a Christian and live like a Christian. I'm going to extend mercy and not sacrifice. The big deal is not the religious exercise. The big deal is the spirit of Christ. And you need to be willing to change. He says, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What does Jesus want the Pharisees to know? He says, I want you to know that religious people need to be saved and transformed, changed to the image of Jesus. You know what we need to be? We need to be willing to be wrong. We need to be willing to change. Folks, it saddens my heart to know there are people in churches like ours who've fallen into a habit of churchy things and left Jesus out. They have patterns. They have convictions. They have things they do, things they won't do. But they've never come to the place where they realized and acknowledged that Jesus was their Savior. And Jesus died for their sins. And their sins condemned them to hell. They're religious as the day is long. They're members of churches. They give an offering plate. But they don't know Christ by faith as Savior. I want you to know something. You need to get to the place where you are willing like a new bottle to change into the image of Christ. And get saved though you might be religious. One of my friends sent me a message last night. Someone that she counsels with and wants to encourage. She's an old lady that's been attending a Catholic church for many, many years. Something interesting has happened in her church. I don't know exactly what's going on, but parts of it I really like. This lady is very upset. The new priest at her church is no longer wearing the religious garb that they always wear. The new preacher, priest at the Catholic church has encouraged every person in that church to get a Bible and to begin to read it. The new priest at the Catholic church is, instead of going through certain liturgies that they've always gone through, he's, going, he's beginning to teach the Bible to the church. And I want you to know something. This woman is so mad. She can't even see straight. She's so upset. She's reached out to one of her Baptist friends. In total disdain. For the fact that some priest would have the audacity. To ask her to read the Bible for herself. We laugh. It seems odd and unusual. But let me tell you something. There's lots of churches that call themselves Christians and people who carry their Bibles, if the Bible's literally and actually taught and preached, it would wreck and ruin everything that church stands for. It would upset the religious people who've kept this church together for a hundred years. Let me tell you something. Your religion is not what will save you. The habit of your religion is not what will save you. 
The style of your religion is not what will save you. The way you did it for the last 75 or 100 years is not what will save you. If you're stuck in some form of religion and you think some ritual, some religious ritual is what you need, oh no, you need to come to the place where you acknowledge that you're a hell-deserving sinner and Jesus is the only hope that you have. And you repent of your sin and put your trust in Christ and Christ alone and get saved from the penalty of your sin. Become a child of God and let God change you. You see, we need to be new bottles. You see, religious people need to be saved and changed. And changed into the image of Jesus. And finally, number three, we see a third group of people. Number three, saved people need to be transformed to the image of Christ. Saved people need to be transformed to the image of Christ. The next group of people, the first group we see is Matthew and his publican and sinner buddies. The second group are the upset Pharisees trying to divide things, and Jesus reminds them they need to be saved, they need to change. The third group of people are the disciples of John. The Bible says in verse 14, look at it with me. Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast oft? But thy disciples fast not. Now, I think this is pretty interesting. The disciples of John. Now, this John is John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist had a following of people, and rightfully so. God had raised up John the Baptist as the precursor to Christ. He, was, he came on the scene. He was born just a few months before Jesus was. And John preached that, he, that everyone needed to repent and turn to the Lord. They needed to trust in God. And he talked about one that was coming after him whose shoe latched he was not worthy to loosen. He was talking about somebody's coming after him. He started preaching. John preached Jesus before he realized Jesus was who he was. John was preaching Jesus, and the day that John uh, baptized Jesus, John confirmed and John testified, and the Holy Spirit and God the Father and God the Son, all three testified that Jesus was the Savior, and here he is. This is the one. This is the Savior, John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist preached Jesus, and he would have preached to his disciples, hey, look, don't worship me. Don't just follow me. You need to worship and follow and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. And so the disciples of John, they were followers of Christ. They were people who had put their trust in Jesus. The disciples of John were Christians. They were saved. But the disciples of John are having a little hard time. The disciples of John are all Jewish people who were accustomed to keeping holy days and fasting and doing the works of the, uh, of the, the Jewish faith and attempting to keep the Old Testament law. And, and the, the disciples of John, they, they're like, oh, man, I don't get this. How do we... Eat? I, they had questions. You know something? Questions are great. I like questions. I like contentious, hard questions. Just last night, I sat down with a group of ladies that were telling me and talking to me about a very contentious doctrinal issue. And they just had enough boldness and guts to talk to me about it. I enjoyed talking to them. It ended up being really sweet and great. 
I love questions. And the disciples of John, you can tell that they love the Lord and they just want to know what's right. They want to do the best because guess what they do? They don't go behind Jesus' back and try to divide the disciples like the Pharisees did from him. The disciples of John, they go straight to Jesus and say, now look, we, we need some help with this. we got a problem. Why in the world do your disciples not fast often like we and the Pharisees do? The Pharisees fast often. We fast often. I mean, according to the, the Old Testament law, we're there certain seems like there's certain things we're supposed to do. And why does your disciples not fast and we do? And Jesus tells them. The Bible says in verse number 15, Jesus said to them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? If the, the bridegroom is present, is there any reason to, to mourn? If the person that you need is present or that you'd mourn over, is there any reason to mourn? No, there's no reason to mourn if who you would mourn over is with you. The Bible says, and he continues, But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. Now when the guest of honor, the bridegroom, is taken away, then you fast. There's Bottom line, Jesus said, while I'm here, they don't need to be seeking my direction. Why do you fast? Fasting in the Bible is a means to take specific times and give up something, most of the time food, in order that you can zero and focus in on the will of God and seek God and God's will. And fasting's good and right and biblical. But Jesus said, there's no sense in my disciples fasting to find my will when I'm walking with them every day. It just makes sense. It just makes sense. Do you know what Jesus is telling John's disciples? John's disciples could have bowled up right there. Well, I'm telling you one thing. I don't care what he says. We've always fasted and we're going to keep fasting. And Jesus would say, but it doesn't make sense. I'll tell you one thing. We've always done this, but, and I'm always going to do it. I don't care. But the disciples of John, they said, aha. You know, we've always done it this way, but it really, at this moment, it doesn't make sense to do it that way. And so let's just follow Jesus. Do you know what God was telling them? God was telling them, hey, listen. You need to be a new bottle. You need to be a new bottle. You need to be willing, as the Spirit of God works and moves, you need to be willing to change and mold and conform to the image of Christ. Let me tell you something. God never calls us to conform to the image of this world. As a matter of fact, he says, be not conformed to this world. God doesn't call us to move into sinful behavior. God doesn't call us to move into wickedness. God doesn't call us to change, to any type of sinful wickedness. But I will tell you this, as long as you're a child of God, God is always working in you and wants you to become more and more like him. See, if you get to the place where you won't let God change you, the only option that's left is for you to break the work of the Lord to pour out and spill out and the opportunity to go away. But God is calling all of us to be new bottles willing to change as God's moving, willing to adapt to the work that God would have for us to do at this time, willing to be like Him. 
Oh, it's sweet. You know what God wants? He wants bad people to get saved and change into his image. You know what God wants? God wants religious people to get saved and change into his image. And God wants saved people to be willing to change into his image. You see, we've got to keep this idea and notion that I'm not right about everything. I don't know everything that God wants for me. And the will and plan of God for my life, for my church, for my family, it is moving and changing and God is teaching us and growing us. And so with God's help, our spirit should be the spirit of a new bottle that's willing to change and adapt to the will and the working of God in our life. Otherwise, we'll waste our opportunity with our sinful stubbornness. God wants to change you. Be sure you let him. Let's pray.